0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Bring the Vegas gaming experience to the palm of your hand. Bet your favorite team, try your luck in a casino, or our poker room. The earliest sports lines and the biggest limits online. Lots of deposit options. Bet on live events as they happen. The next play, the next score. Get winnings fast or roll them into a parlay and win even more. Visit BetOnline today and see what millions of customers have experienced for over 20 years. On third and three, they protect Brady.
0: Scans the field and lets it fly. It's Evans. It's a
2: touchdown. This is the big nasty. Yeah, big nasty. All-fame Tempe
1: Buccaneer fan, baby. This is Mike Allstott, Tempe Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast.
0: Cannon Fire! Brother, you ain't
1: listening, and you're missing
2: out.
0: Woo! The on firing yeah. Keep on firing, Keep on
1: firing Hello, and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Happy victory Monday to you. I am your host, Rhett Matthew, joined alongside me, as always, my good buddy and co-host from BoxNation.com. Mr. Evan Wanish, also joining us today, former Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, coach Sean King. Pleasure to have you back, rocking the Victory Monday mug. How about those Bucks, man? Twenty to ten over the New Orleans Saints. The defense dominating. I mean, just an absolute one of the best stat lines we have seen from this Todd Bowles led defense in quite some time. They are able to score with the Mike Edwards pick six to kind of put a uh, a wrap on things, but they force five turnovers in the second half of that game, which really got kickstarted after that big brawl in the middle. So one hell of a game in New Orleans that we're still kind of reeling from. But, Sean, what were your thoughts on that Week 2 performance?
0: Well, I think when you come into any season, you have certain, like, expectations or, you know, you kind of formulate an opinion of of what this is going to look like and just pleasantly surprised. I mean, the defense looks like best in the league caliber. I mean – They completely shut down Dallas, and that was with Dak. And uh, the demise of the Dallas Cowboys, it looks like it was exaggerated as they went in week two and beat the Bengals. So that win looks more impressive. And then they really stifled a super talented Saints offense. You know, I know Kamara did not play, but, I mean, they have a great collection of wide receivers. And, and, you know, the combination of pass rush and coverage, I mean, they had Jameis out out of sync. Uh, just they—they've been phenomenal. I and I expected them to be good, but not this good.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way of expecting them to be good. I thought. You know, when we did our season prediction show, I said that I thought the the defense was going to be ahead of the offense in terms of mixing in those pieces because the defense, it's relatively the same defense, and it's been that way for a few years, so I figured they'd be more comfortable with themselves. The offense is trying to work in some new pieces, but you're right, Sean. I agree with you. I didn't expect them to be quite this good, the amount of takeaways they were able to get and the pressure that they're able to get as well, so uh, that was a concern I had coming into the year, if they were going to be able to keep up that pressure not having the dominican sue not having jason bear paul but it looks like they haven't missed the beat and i mean guys like devin white are are developing well jamel dean is stepping up in the secondary it all seems to be coming together quite well for this bucks defense
1: now let me ask a question and, and sean i want your take on this as well sean murphy bunting we had mentioned it briefly on the post game show last night but for the second week in a row he gets zero defensive snaps and we know he struggled with injury back in 2021 missed damn near half the regular season before he finally made his return in a scrambled backfield, but he hasn't seen the field at all. And the fact of the matter is the Buccaneers defense is humming. This secondary is putting in work. The new three safety look the Buccaneers have had really seems to be working well. Antoine Winfield playing some of his best football out of the nickel position, moving all over the field. What's going on with SMB? Is there any chance he can work his way back into this roster? Because right now, it's kind of like riding the hot hand with any other position. You almost don't want to, you know, mess this thing up with how well it's been working early on in the season.
0: Uh, I think you kind of alluded to it. You know, they've been playing Ryan and Edwards at the safety spots and letting Winfield play the nickel. If you think about Sean Murphy, uh, second round pick out of central Michigan, you know, expected to be, you know, a outside corner never really developed as an edge player on defense. He really kind of, blossom when they moved him into that nickel spot and uh when he got injured i just think they got comfortable with winfield and i think he's probably gives him a little more from a blitz standpoint you know from a physicality standpoint so i'm sure uh coach kevin is telling him don't get frustrated keep working hard you know your time's gonna come it's a good problem to have you know to to be able to say we're, we're playing elite level of defense and Still have guys like Sean Murphy Bunton that we're waiting to contribute.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, you, know, you don't really want to rock the boat uh, anyway, uh, because, I mean, Defense has played so well. If you need a spark plug, maybe that's where and come off the bench and and kind of be that spark plug for you. But right now, there's no reason for him to be out there. Like the, the defense is playing outstanding. So and if he, I mean, he's contributing on special teams now. So they've been looking for special teams contributors. So it's not like he's doing absolutely nothing. Of course, you would you know, second round pick, you'd like to see him be able to contribute on a defense in some way. But I mean, Jamel Dean has been fantastic. So it's not like Jamel Dean's job is that number two corner is in any danger. And Carlton Davis is Carlton Davis. So there's not really a spot for him right now. And and like you said, Sean, it's a good problem to have. It's not an unfortunate thing. It's an unfortunate thing for SMB personally, but in terms of the team, it shows that they have the depth now and they have the talent
1: on the defensive side to
2: hold a former second-round pick basically on the bench for the entire game.
1: Now, is this a guy where at any point this year he holds a little bit of value to some other teams who may be hungry for depth in their secondary? I, I just don't see the Bucks being in a... Why would they, you know... If you have them sitting there, why deal them when depth has been an issue before?
2: Yeah, you've seen all the injuries in the secondary last year. I just I don't think the Bucs won. I mean, it would be for a draft pick like, you know, I don't see why the Bucs now. I mean, maybe, you know, if you do a player swap, those are rare at the deadline, like player for player swaps are pretty rare at the deadline.
1: Um, But if you could find a player to help you, maybe. But I, I wouldn't expect it. So let's get to the main event here, the talk of the town. The biggest thing coming out of this game, aside from the Buccaneers beating the Saints in the regular season for the first time in over four years, uh, Mike Evans was suspended by the NFL for one game for his role in that big altercation between the Buccaneers and New Orleans. Mike is playing to appeal, so his status for week three is still kind of up in the air. He could play if that appeal process ends up dragging out like it normally feels like it does in the NFL. Um, But what do you make of this? I I mean, Sean, I wanted your uh, opinion on this. Mike Evans going to bat for his quarterback, going to bat for his teammates. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what we got in a pretty aggressive fashion. Some people like it. Some people said it was uncalled for. uh, But what we know for sure is that this beef with him and Marshawn Lattimore is is pretty damn personal.
0: Yeah, two light-skinned guys trying to show they're tough. Uh, it's funny. I never liked it because, I mean, football is a violent physical game. You know, you generally get 60-plus snaps where in between the whistle you're paid to physically make another human do what they don't want to do. So I always like, I mean, come on, fellas, really. But it was entertaining for TV, and from a motivational standpoint, it looked like it sparked the team, uh, especially on offense, because, I mean, we've been talking a lot about the Bucks' defense. Saints' defense was going series for series with them the majority of this game. So that kind of ignited, I guess, a, a, a new energy outburst, I guess you could call it, you know, and, and we kind of made a couple plays and created some separation and ultimately got the win. Um, because of the other injuries at receiver, though, you got to ask yourself, if you're Mike Evans, if the suspension is upheld, was it worth it? And you know, our missing Chris Godwin, Julio didn't play, you know, So, you know, the position seemed really deep at one time. It's getting thin, you know, by the the minute. You could tell, like, Brady's getting frustrated, you know, some of those plays that normally would have been to Gronkowski or Chris Godwin Scotty Miller wasn't able to make, you know. So, we got to figure out how, how, especially on offense, to to, to create some consistency. If it could go wrong injury-wise on offense, I mean, outside of the fact that Brady's still standing up right, it seems like it's went wrong.
2: Yeah, I and the fight. Look to me, we talked about it on, on our on our post game review show, and we kind of compared it to like a hockey thing about how you know you you start a brawl in hockey, and uh, you know it's gonna energize a bench and, and it's gonna get the, the guys moving, and it did that for the Bucks. The, these this was the drives to end the game after the, the fight happened. The Saints received the ball. Winston was picked off. Then the next drive, the Bucks scored a touchdown. The next Saints drive, Winston was picked off. The next Bucks drive, Ryan Suckup kicked the field goal. Then after that, the next Saints drive was the Mike Evans, uh, Mike Edwards, sorry, pick six. And then after that was the Saints touchdown. And then the Bucks punted. And then there was the fumble. And then the Bucks punted again. Saints. Didn't convert on fourth down, and the game was over. So the following drives after that fight was for the Saints, for the Bucks was well, interception, touchdown, interception, field goal, pick six. Like yeah, that absolutely to me changed the game, and you could tell the Bucks were just playing with more energy, and and I think. Uh, it's that's we talked about with hockey it's going to energize one side you just hope that it's the right side and in this case it, it did energize it because, I mean re- me and Rhett talked about it you know when it was happening Rhett was kind of thinking you know here we go again because the saints had a you know a reputation for getting in the bucks heads and making the bucks do uncharacteristic things be undisciplined and that was a pure sign of that right there you're like oh yeah here here we go again but they were able to rebound from it, and they were able to be mentally tough and rebound from that and be able to win the game. At the time, it was still a 3-3 game. It was not like the Bucs didn't have the lead or anything. Um, It was still a tie game, so that really changed the, the whole outcome of the game to me.
1: I thought that was the biggest thing I took away from it was the fact that the Buccaneers were able to just come out on top after that because there have been boiling points in these games before. They always play chippy against New Orleans. It always gets a little bit heated. Every now and again, there's some pushing and some shoving, but it seems like as far as the mental battle goes, once that point boils over and guys are pushing and shoving each other on the field, that's when the Bucks would usually check out, lose the mental battle, and in turn lose the football game. But just like you said, Evan, they're able to overcome it, and they, they kind of cleanse some demons out there in New Orleans. You know what I mean? They are 0-7 against this club uh, the last time they had played them in the regular season before this week. So, good to see the Buccaneers come out here with a win. And I will say that to beat a team like New Orleans in a game like that, a, a game that was already frustrating in the first half, you see Tom Brady breaking Microsoft tablets. Usually it takes them about three and a half quarters to get to that point, but they overcome that. They get a win against a team they've been trying to beat forever, and now they play Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, who they should already feel confident going into this game because Aaron Rodgers has not played well against Tampa Bay, especially since Tom Brady has come to town. But what a confidence boost for this team to finally go out there and beat New Orleans in the fashion that they did. I mean, for this team to be 2-0 and right now, you got to feel pretty good about their chances, even without potentially Mike Evans coming into this week three game against uh, Green Bay.
0: Well, definitely defensively, they look like they're capable of, of stopping or, or slowing down anyone then. You know, Green Bay's wide receiver situation where they're still trying to figure some experience for some younger players like Romeo Dubs and Christian Watson. I mean, they're going to have the advantages. Um, Green Bay has been running the football better and that is Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, he's capable on any given Sunday of breaking your heart. Uh, if you look outside of just the Bucks, it happened across the board uh, in other locations. So well, I was never comfortable in the game because I saw what was going on around the league and it seemed like a bunch of games that look like blowouts at halftime, all of a sudden were life and death in the final two minutes. But uh, Tampa should be favored. I was trying to look up to see what that opening line was. Last I checked, the,
2: uh, I, th- I thought the Bucs were favored by three. It could have changed, but I thought, and maybe the Mike Evans news changes some things, but uh, I thought the Bucks were favored by three.
0: Yeah, I got them two and a half, so maybe the Mike Evans, you know, uh, Move changes. So the, the odds makers are saying it's a 50 50 game. Generally, mm-hmm. when they feel like that, the home team gets three points. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be a good test. I'm sure the, the fan base has got to be fired up. You know, uh, I was trying to think back the last few years. I don't remember us starting the season with two away games. You know, definitely not since Brady has been the yeah. quarterback there in Tampa. So I'm sure people will be fired up, get the tailgate and going. Uh, I remember when I got drafted and um, the Bucks were still in the NFC Central. And the home game that we were guaranteed to sell out, so it'd be shown on local TV, was the Packers. Because their fan base used to, like, basically turn it into Green Bay South. So uh, times have changed now. I mean, that's not the case anymore. But uh, it's just a fun little run down memory lane back into the old black and blue divisions.
2: You know, when we talk about the Bucks sort of exercising their demons against the Saints, the Packers have some demons against this Bucks team, you know, and, and the Packers are going to be looking to exercise those demons against this Bucks team. But to me, uh, the Packers haven't looked overly impressive. Like even in their win last night against Chicago, they didn't look overly impressive to me. Obviously, they did what they had to do. They won the football game, but I don't think Chicago is a very good team and the Packers didn't overpower them. So I do think there is a chance for, you know, for the bucks to exploit some of the weaknesses the Packers have. Like you said, Sean, trying to work in those new wide receivers. It seems like Rodgers is also frustrated. It just Rogers and Brady are two different guys. Brady shows more visible frustration. Rogers, you can just kind of tell it's like he's frustrated, but like he's kind of not going to say it.
1: Um, More of a passive aggressiveness. Yeah, he's not yeah. breaking tablets. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: so, so Brady, Brady acts out as the old folks used to say, and Rogers pouts.
2: Yeah, <laughs> um yeah. So, like you know, and Rogers has had his frustrations with the offense, but Green Bay's played solid defense. I, I think it is going to be a good game, and uh, to be able to. um you know the last time I believe the Bucks had two straight road games was in 2016, and the only reason because of that was because Raymond James Stadium was getting some renovations done, so they had to be on the road two straight weeks. Um, but yeah, they're two and zero now. After and I talked about it, on, I believe on the Saints preview show, what a confidence boost it could be if this team were to go into New Orleans and beat the Saints, a team that they haven't beaten in four years in the regular season, to you know, and then play the Packers and Chiefs. That would be a heck of a confidence boost, and, and now they got it. So hopefully you know there is no letdown. They might be without Mike Evans on Sunday, which would certainly make things harder. We don't know the status of Chris Cowan or Julio Jones or anything yet. It's a little too early for that stuff, but I, I do think it's, it's going to be a good game, and uh, hopefully the Bucks defense can again sort of haunt Aaron Rodgers as they have the past two times they've played.
1: When we talk about Green Bay's offense, we talk a lot about Aaron Rodgers. Of course, that young wide receiver room. Shout out to Christian Watson, who, uh, while honestly hasn't been super awesome this year, he's got more lowlights and highlights. Uh, Tampa, Florida, Plant High School, going out there, putting on. Also, just I don't know if you saw that uh, stat release last week, but Tampa, Florida, I think the second most represented city as far as players in the NFL go, active starting players in the NFL They've got 15 players. One of them is an old teammate of mine, Isaiah Rogers, in uh, Indianapolis, playing returner, playing corner. That guy is a stud. you love to see that. Florida has certainly been football university as far as the talent that comes out of here because Bradenton, Florida, while I know most of those were IMG guys who aren't actually from this area, Bradenton still had 15 or 16 players as well. So when you got over 30 players in the NFL and Texas only has 20-something, that's a pretty good feeling. But – Going back to this Green Bay offense, we talk a lot about the young wide receivers still trying to get things going with them. But the running backs, I, I know you said that they didn't really dominate Chicago, but I thought the running backs, the running back committee they have back there could certainly give the Bucks problems because we talk about all the strengths that they have shown early on this 2022 campaign. The run defense has been a little bit more leaky than I would like it to be, especially after, you know, the status they have garnered for themselves over the last three seasons or so. I, I agree. Uh, Packers ran the ball. Well, last night, that was
2: probably the big reason they won the game. Rogers didn't go berserk thrown for 300, 400 yards. Uh, they ran the ball efficiently. And I mean, they were getting five to six yards a pop and um, yeah, the, the bucks are going to have to watch out for that. The, the saints I thought ran the ball well against the bucks. And I had mentioned that before the saints game, I was a little bit concerned about that. Uh, you just got to hope that, the the Packers kind of get set in their ways and they want to pass a little bit more. It's starting to sort of, the defense starting to turn a little bit, right? They're becoming better against the pass, but a bit worse against the run, which honestly in today's NFL I'll take because most offenses are going to be pass heavy. Most of the time nowadays, it's just how the NFL is nowadays. So, uh, but Yeah, I expect to see a heavy dose of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon uh, on Sunday because it worked for Green Bay last night. And I think Green Bay knows that they can't have Rodgers go out there and throw the ball 40, 45 times because they almost did that versus Minnesota. And it just – you saw it didn't really work. So uh, Rodgers has had trouble against this team. I think one way the Packers could look to limit that trouble and limit the turnovers is – run the football. So I think the Bucks definitely do have to, it hasn't been terrible, but like you said, the standard that they've set for
1: themselves, it needs to be much better than it has been. I think week one, Dallas put up a little over 75 yards with three runners on the night. And I think new Orleans had a very similar stat line, regardless of the number they put up. There was a period in the game, second half of yesterday where Mark Ingram kind of got hot at the wrong time. And he was really driving them down the field. Luckily, it ended up in a turnover. I think that was the Logan Ryan peanut punch to force the fumble. But, I mean, they were cooking with the run game. Mark Ingram, no stranger to tearing up the Buccaneers. So they got to be ready for some more formidable backs. And Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, those guys can certainly get the job done.
0: Yeah, and I think you just see a transformation happening in Green Bay. And it periodically happens, you know, within organizations based on where they're at with the salary cap. Uh, for a long time, all of Green Bay's major transactions, whether it be draft or free agency, you know, were centered around the offense. You know, for a while, and uh, you see that shifting. I know Rogers got the big extension, but other than that, from an asset allocation standpoint, it's been on defense. Like they think they have put together a pretty salty defense. Like you talk to people, you know, inside the organization, they think this is as good as the Packer defense has been in years. So. They are kind of trying to convince Rodgers to transition to more of a run-centric uh, offense that kind of caters to field positions, time of possession, more complimentary football, less three and outs, you know, but also a lot less explosive. So, you know, a guy that's won NFL MVP three times telling him to basically sacrifice, you know, it takes time, you know, for him to for – you, for you to get full buy-in. So – you know, you mentioned that they didn't look that impressive against Chicago. It's kind of because we're used to seeing them be explosive and dynamic in the past game. So, you know, they're, they're transitioning. It's going to be a good matchup, man. I think this is two of the, the, the better defenses, you know, in the NFC specifically. And definitely, too, you, you probably say top one, two quarterbacks in, in whatever order, depending on whosever opinion it is, uh, in the NFC overall.
2: Yeah, and I, I think this game... Um, and this will probably be the last one of the last things we'll say about the Green Bay matchup in particular. We got a full week to analyze it, but this could be a big game in terms of the seeding in the NFC. Obviously you, you can't be the one seed in, in week three, but down the down the road, you could look at this game and potentially look at it and say, Wow, you know, that was a big win. The the Bucks being able to beat the Packers, go to three and and0 drop the Packers to one and two the Bucks could be in the driver's seat for the NFC's one seed. The Rams almost blew that game to Atlanta yesterday, being up 28-3. I thought oh, yeah. Atlanta I thought Atlanta was going to exercise some demons oh, out of themselves.
1: Everybody um, made the joke. They had them right where they wanted them
2: at their yeah, 28-3. Yeah. Just, that, that, that's the name of the game. And like, so, I mean, the Rams haven't looked overly impressive. Uh, the 49ers, now they have Jimmy G back. I do think that... I think Trey Lance's potential is good, but I think for this year's team, Jimmy G's better. But still, I mean, San Francisco can be beaten. Um, you know, Philly, we, I, I think Philly's roster is really good, but we still don't know they have an unproven quarterback. There could be an opportunity here for the Bucks to almost have a stranglehold on that NFC one seed right now, early out of the gate, if they were able to beat this Green Bay team, because I think, we, I think going into the year, you could all agree, you know, the three teams it was going to be for that one seed would be Tampa, Green Bay, or L.A. Now you know you can throw Philly into the mix a little bit, uh, maybe in Minnesota if Minnesota were to to beat Philly tonight. But uh, I think this game, Tampa versus Green Bay, could have huge implications down the line in Week 16, Week 17 um, that you're not really feeling right now.
0: Well, Evan, I will tell you this: if the playoffs started today, I'm looking at it right here. Bucks one seed, Giants two seed, baby. Uh,
2: <laughs> just like just like we all predicted, just like we all picked.
0: With the uh, Vikings Eagles, that'll be a good game tonight. Uh, yeah. Monday night football, getting to see some of the potential playoff competition. You know, at least the way it's looking. You know, early in the season.
1: So we got we got two Monday night football games tonight, which I'm really not that big a fan of. I, I don't know what, what the. I, like, I get it. More football is more football. But on a Monday night, I want to watch one game at a time. I don't want to have to switch between Boy, the two well, games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Issue. I was going to say, I don't like the way they stagger the yeah. starts. That's that's the issue. We
2: They always used to do the East Coast game. And then they used to do the West Coast game at right, like 10:45. Right. But now, right. yeah, like you're going to be able to watch Bills Titans for like an hour, but then the Eagles Vikings game going to start. That doesn't make much sense. It should they should have done like Bills Titans as like the East Coast game and then they but they should have done like a West Coast game starting at like 11 or something.
0: Yeah. Know? And isn't ESPN and ABC under both? Aren't they both under Disney? I, yeah, I think so, yeah. So, I mean, it's not even like competitive
1: no. Like programming. It's <laughs> they're ta- like the they're same taking company. away from each
0: other. <laughs> yeah, like usurping, you know, internally. So I don't know why they don't start the, the East Coast game at like 6 East Coast and then the West Coast game start at like 6 Pacific. Mm-hmm. So that way it's a three-hour window. And if the game – the first game runs, you know, 315 or something, you miss a little bit of the second game. You can see the majority of it. Yeah. So –
1: I got the answer to everybody's question here from SI.com. dot uh, Why is there a Monday Night Football doubleheader in Week Two? And the simple answer is this: because ESPN wanted to find a reason to show off their one hundred and sixty five dollar uh, one hundred and sixty five million dollar studio setup on TV. So Steve Levy, <sighs> Louis Riddick, and Dan Orlovsky will call Tennessee Buffalo tonight on ESPN, and then Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are going to be doing the NFC battle between Minnesota and Philly on ABC. ESPN has said it will uh, it will liberally use double boxes on both networks during the overlap oh. to keep viewers updated on both matchups. So why exactly are we getting a doubleheader in week two? As for this season, ESPN wanted to switch up this year's doubleheader from week one to two in part because it wanted to showcase its new $165 million booth in the season openers. After years of trying to stabilize the Monday Night Football broadcast team, ESPN stole Buck and Aikman away from Fox, where they called games together for 20 seasons and instantly solved all of its Monday night football announcer issues. So there is the inside and out as to why we have this weird double header courtesy of SI.com. I mean, if,
2: if you paid $175 million for something, I think you'd want to show it off too.
1: Oh yeah. I'd want it to be, you know, first on the uh, first on the billing and that's exactly what they're doing. And bringing it
2: back to the bucks here before we, we wrap it up with a few more things. want to talk about Tom Brady, who? Is probably going to be in the Fox booth sooner rather than later, right? Probably next year, I would assume. But um, I, I thought, you know, a lot of people were saying that, oh, Tom Brady didn't play great. Tom Brady didn't play great. I thought he was fine. Um it wasn't great. He wasn't bad. But I think people forget fits this Saints defense gives Tom Brady. Uh they're they're still really good. I know they lost a lot of pieces in the offseason, but they're they're still a really good defense. It's a tough environment, and I thought Brady did his job. The biggest thing, obviously the the fumble sucked, but zero interceptions. That was the, the key to the entire game. Uh we knew that I, I thought whoever was gonna generate the most turnovers was gonna win. If the bugs couldn't take care of the football, they weren't going to win, and they haven't been able to take care of the football against the Saints team. That's why they haven't won since 2018. So, I thought if they took care of the football, they could have a decent chance, and and that's what they did for the most part. How did you evaluate Brady's day on on Sunday, Sean?
0: Uh, I think Brady's frustrated, but they're winning, so what can he say? You know what I mean? I was pulling his, his numbers up right here. I mean, you're talking about a guy at 45 that threw for Last year, 5,000 yards, 45 touchdowns. I mean, he's thrown for, you know, right at 200 yards per game through the first two weeks, two touchdowns, one pick. So this is the transition you get when you go from a Bruce Arians, who's an offensive, aggressive offensive guy. Bruce wants to push the ball down the field, you know, be aggressive, take chances to a conservative defensive guy in Ty Bowles, who wants to not turn the ball over, play field position, and you can see the image shift. I add in that, you know, in a lot of ways, Tom is going through the same thing Aaron's going. You know, Gronk has been, his Devontae Adams. You know, that guy that you know you can rely on. There's like this organic chemistry, you know, when it's chaos around, like you guys have your hand signals and your, your, your mannerisms that tell the other one exactly what you're looking for, what's to be expected. And, you know, he doesn't have that. You know, then you could see him and Chris Godwin had really developed, like, this kinship, you know, and this understanding, you know, kind of how to navigate zone and man defenses, you know, in between the numbers. And all of a sudden, Chris Godwin isn't there, you know. And he can tell he's frustrated with with some of the younger receivers and, you know, them not making some of the plays or being in some of the positions that they should be, you know, based on how he's seeing unfold. So, you know, he's hiding it well at times. At other times, he's not hiding it well. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, whenever they lose, if they lose, he'll, he'll, he'll get a little chirpy, you know, because he's a perfectionist. He wants it to be perfect, and uh, the Bucks' passing game right now is still a work in progress, and uh, he's frustrated about that. And you know, Mike Evans not being available probably, you know, just accents it even more. So it's gonna be a, it's gonna be an interesting first quarter of the season, but I, I think. It, it, you gotta figure out from year to year, guys, who you are. Like that's the the thing that, that I think eludes a lot of people is that man, every year the team is different. You know, the strengths are different, the weaknesses are different, you know, guys are getting older, younger guys are coming, you know, so great coaches kind of can evolve on the fly. And that's kind of what you're seeing with the Bucks. They're having to evolve in certain ways on the fly.
1: Now, looking at this wide receiver room, we had mentioned, you know, Mike Evans potentially being absent for week three. Julio Jones missed the week two game in New Orleans. He was a game time decision, kind of popped up on the injury report later in the week, expected him to play. He ends up not playing. It is what it is. A lot of people saw this one coming because he has not really escaped injury these last couple of years in the NFL, but I almost expect him to play. But in the same breath, talking about this wide receiver room, I think it's way too easy for people to discredit a guy like you know Russell Gage for not necessarily stepping up last week against New Orleans, but it's hard to do that because this offense always struggles against New Orleans. It doesn't matter who you have, who you don't have out there. They have been full strength, and they still have a hard time putting up absolute great numbers at the wide receiver position against this team. But Julio Jones coming back, what are your expectations for this wide receiver room this week, Evan? And do you think Brady should – You know, hopefully, find it much easier to move the ball this week uh, against an or against the defense that he has had some success in in the past.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I think Julio should be fine because it was a close call. I think if if he's warming up, um, you know, and and testing it out pregame, that tells me that you're you were close to playing. It just you decide you know not to go. so you, you hope he's back, and if he is, then you're rolling with, you know, Gage and Jones as your top two, assuming that Evans doesn't play, assuming Gowin doesn't play. Um, you know, this Packers defense, though, is pretty good. And, you know, they have a lot of talent in the secondary. Jair Alexander, Rasul Douglas, uh, they have talent in that secondary with their corners, so I don't think it'll be easy. Uh, Dallas is – the de- I mean – I, I have hated on the Bucks' offensive philosophy throughout the, the first two games of the season, right? I think you, the strength of this team is still a passing football team, and you need to play to your strengths, and that's why the Bucs are like statistically one of the worst offenses so far in the league. It's no coincidence, but... The defenses they have played in Todd Bowles' defense, in Byron Leftwich's defense, the defenses they have played have not been slouches. Dallas' defense held Cincinnati to 17 points. Um, Dallas' defense is a talented defense. The Saints, we all know the Saints give the Bucks trouble, but the Saints' defense is also very talented. Now they have another talented defense coming in. The, the Packers defense is not a slouch. I think it is much better than the 2020 defense that the Bucks last faced. So it'll be a challenge, I, I think, and they're going to have to get creative. I thought Russell Gage played... Good. I thought he played a little bit better than some fans may think. Uh he was wide open on that uh the Perryman touchdown. There was not a defender within 10 yards of him, but you know, Brady decided to to get the home the home run ball, which is fine. Uh just good it worked. You know, <laughs> if it didn't work, then you can be looking at that and saying, you know, Gage is wide open for a first down. But uh the guy that Gage, like you pay him 10 million, 10 million bucks. Like you're gonna have to step up. Julio Jones, if he plays, he'll have to step up. And and I, these tight ends, man, like they're just they're giving the Bucks nothing right now. Like they are giving the Bucks absolutely nothing in the receiving game. And if Mike Evans isn't there, I, unless an unexpected wide receiver like a Scotty Miller, who was obviously had success against the Packers or like a Brashad Pramer for another week, unless one of those guys step up, a guy like Cameron Braid or Kate Otten, like one of these tight ends is gonna have to step up and Kyle Rudolph again was inactive, it might be time to give him a look, honestly.
0: Hey, he, you just got to keep living, Evan. You don't see what it's like to get old. And that's what you're going through. So Kyle Rudolph is old, man. I uh, know, but I mean, he not is a
2: quarterback.
0: Julio Jones is old. So, you know, I, I'm a, I want to give you guys this context with Julio. Let's just say Julio is on a pitch count this year, 425 pitches. That's what you're expecting. Okay. Which that comes out to about – 25 snaps a game if he plays every game. So you got to look at it like, where do I want to get those 425 pitches? Is it better to get a 50-pitch performance in week six and miss week three, four, and five? Or is it we want it to be a consistent 25-a-week pitch count? Because when you get his age, I mean, you wear out. Like, your ability to, to perform at your peak is limited. So I'm a kind of person like I would rather if if he's on a pitch count I'd rather save the pitches for third fourth quarter of the season and have something left come playoffs you know than use him up you know early in the season just to the you know yeah, he's available he's playing it, does that make sense like when you look mm-hmm. at it from that context like 25 snaps a game 17 weeks is 425 that's a pitch count.
2: It makes sense. Um, you know, not only Julio's age, but a player with his age with his injuries over the past few years. Uh I think the Bucks, the way the season ended last year, they you know, they truly believe, and a lot of people believe that if they had their full weapons healthy, they would have beaten the Rams and they might have won the Super Bowl. Uh, but they weren't healthy. So I think their priority for this year is obviously, you know, if Julio Jones is 100 percent good to go, they they'll want him out there, but like they're going to play as cautious as possible because they know, like just like you said, in November and December and January, like those are the games, the later you get in the year, the more the games are going to matter. So I, I definitely do agree. Um, and that's why I do think Julio Jones was close to playing. And that's again, maybe the bucks are playing it a little bit more cautious with a guy like Julio Jones, because let's say you throw him out there against new Orleans and he's, well, let's say he's 80%, right? 80% good to go. You throw him out there against New Orleans, some, something happens and he's out for five weeks, you know, and then, then you're missing him for five weeks and you still don't know when Godwin's coming back. So I think they were playing it more cautious with, with Julio. I agree that on the pitch count, I think he was on the pitch count, honestly, without this year. Um, I think it's going to be the same way. With I think it was the same way with Godwin in Dallas. I think it would just so happened Godwin got hurt, but I think Godwin was probably on a pitch count. Um, and, you know, this offense, I, I'm not hitting the panic button with this offense because they haven't been fully healthy yet, uh, and they've avoided those big-time turnovers. Uh, they're playing efficient football, so I haven't hit the full-blown panic button. But you, to me, it's just your strength as a passing football team, and right now they're not playing to their strengths. Once they get healthy, hopefully they can, but right now they're just not doing
0: it. Can I, have a, I can ask a quick question? Uh, yeah, go this ahead. This is for, for both of you. This doesn't seem like a farewell tour for Brady. And considering this past offseason, it's surprising to me. I almost thought this would be like uh, give Brady his flowers while he's still living, you know, campaign. You know, like an NBA player, that they, they announced this is going to be his last year and he's honored at some of the away stadiums. And, you know, it, it's spoken about. Like I feel like that narrative has kind of been suppressed a lot and I don't get a chance to listen to some of the local – you know, stuff as much. I, 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 am, should this be like a farewell tour? Well, is to this his last year?
2: But Before, I'll let Rhett take most of this because Rhett's, Rhett is local, but um, Brady has said, like, he doesn't really want the farewell tour, right? He, he said that last year when he was con- sort of contemplating things that he didn't really want that, that farewell tour, kind of like what, what Kobe got in his final year in, in with the Lakers, Um he didn't really want that. So I don't really think it, that's what he wants now. I mean, that doesn't stop people from still doing it. But um what is sort of the the quick, you know, vibe down there? Red?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, in the back of everybody's head, you kind of get this feeling that this is going to be his last year. Everything dominating the news cycle the way that it has with everyone having an opinion about Tom Brady and him just opening up and. How much he's uh, expressed his human side lately, not the not the cyborg that only focuses on football side of Tom Brady that we normally see. So, like, I I totally get that feeling, but I think it all wraps back up into just like Evan had brought up. Brady said himself, he doesn't really want any of that stuff. He he doesn't want people to know 100 percent that his last season is his last because then that's all they're going to talk about. They're not going to talk about what he's done so far that season. They're not even going to talk about his team and where they are. They'll probably talk about this being his final game here or his final time facing this quarterback, this opponent, this defense, whatever the case may be. I I think that since they've already gone through the process of wishing him a happy retirement once, you know, why would they do it again until they know for 100% fact that he is going to be done? Because th- that's also like the other thing that I think is in the back of people's heads is that I kind of agree, Sean, in the sense that I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel this way. I feel like there is still a chance he could just decide to go ahead and come back for a 24th year. Like if the Bucks win the Super Bowl this year, I, I think he's more than content riding off into the sunset. But if they don't, Aside from these quote unquote marriage issues, what is really stopping him from coming back another year? I, I mean, if he unless he says it himself, I think everyone wants to believe there's just as much chance he could come back as there is that he could retire. And that's why everyone's not so quick to kind of, you know, throw the parade, I guess, is, is a way to put it. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know.
2: Like, I, I think there's a pretty good expectation that this is it. Like, I mean, I think that's the overwhelming expectation, but I think, I think people still maybe feel
1: like there's a chance uh,
2: he'd come back. I mean, you have Ian Rappaport, there's saying, you know, in the morning of week one, that this is his final year. Um, so like, I I don't know. It's just, and uh, we don't know, like everybody wants to speculate about marriage or whatever. We don't know. Like and we'll never know. So I, I, I hate speculating about that stuff. That that's his personal life. He deserves to keep that private. Um, that's not up to us to know. We don't need to know. That's not our right. Um and and honestly, like, to me it hasn't affected his play. Like has he been spectacular? No. But, like, it hasn't, like, yeah, to me, I'm not saying, like, oh, my God, yeah, he looks he looks terrible. To me, a guy like Russell Wilson out in Denver looks a lot worse right now. I would be a lot more worried if I'm a Denver Broncos fan about how Russell Wilson has looked this season than how Tom Brady has looked for the Bucks. So um, I would expect this to be the final year. I, I wouldn't completely rule out, right? That he could return because with with you unretiring, you never know at this point. Like anything can happen, but I would say I'd be pretty surprised if he came back for a twenty fourth year.
1: Let's wrap this thing up with some predictions looking ahead to the Green Bay game. Me personally, I think the Bucks can beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers with this busted up offense. I, I think they can do enough to get the job done. I think the defense stays rolling. Even if the run defense, you know, bends a little bit this week, I don't think they break. I think they play a great game against Green Bay. And uh, Aaron Rodgers struggles yet again against the Red and Pewter. Sean, what do you think the Bucks can do this week?
0: Uh, I'm just going to play the under. Looks like all their games are going yeah. under the total. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're turning into defensive uh, masterpieces. Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, Tampa, they'll have fresh legs because they'll be at home. They get to sleep in their own bed. They don't have the travel or that they've had the first two weeks. So they'll be extremely comfortable. If my if I knew Mike Evans was playing, you know, I like the Bucks, you know, seven to, 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 to ten points, you know, to, to win the game without Mike Evans, maybe without Julio Jones, probably definitely no Chris Godwin. I mean, you start getting a little concerned. And at what point does the pitch count that some of these linemen are getting that aren't used to playing major snaps, where does their performance start to deteriorate? You know, that's something that I think we have to watch. You know, a lot of times the drop-off from first to second string guys is not significant in a short window. Mm -hmm. Where it starts to get exposed is over a long-term period of time. So. You no, know, that's something that we have to watch as well. Couple of injuries. But I like, I like Tampa to win this.
1: Yeah, a couple of injuries to monitor. Akeem Hicks left Sunday's game with an injury, so his status is still up in the air. Josh Wells left with an injury. That's yeah. your second string left tackle, and, and Brandon um, Walton, while he was serviceable, third string left tackle comes in and plays well. Can he do it for four more quarters next week if called upon? Is is the major question? Yeah, yeah we don't know Donovan
2: Smith's status. Um, you know, it's a pain tolerance thing again with Donovan Smith. I think it'll be the same thing this week. But uh, Todd Bowles said today that Akeem Hicks and Josh Wells are both hurt pretty good. Um, so I would be surprised if either suited up on Sunday, but we don't know about Donovan Smith yet. Uh, we don't know about Julio Jones, and I—I uh, I mean, I agree that I would be surprised. It feels like Chris Godwin is probably another week
0: or two away from um, from from playing. So, and um, I'm being honest with Chris Godwin; I want him to hold him out two weeks past, but yeah, think he know. can come back because yeah, like he's he so need, important. He needs to come back 100, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, at, at this point, just make sure he's 100% good to go. But, uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, the Bucks have a lot of key injuries. The Packers really don't. I mean, Bakhtiari is still up in the air. Uh, Alan Lazard came back last night. So they have a few. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll you know just have to keep a close eye on the injury reports again, which seems to be every week at this point. But
1: Every
0: week, every city dealing with the same thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. With all of that being said, that's just about going to do it for today's episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Thank you so much for checking us out. Follow the show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. Best place to go for updates on the show and, of course, Buccaneers news as it happens. Speaking of Bucks news as it happens, you can follow my co-host, Evan, on Instagram at bucks underscore daily, the number one Buccaneers fan page on Instagram. Check out his written work at boxnation.com. Also, shout out to our good friend Sean King for coming on the show with us this week. Where can people find you and your content?
0: Uh, Twitter at real Sean King. That's a S H A U N. When I go to Starbucks, I don't care how they spell it because it sounds the same. But if you're actually looking for me on Twitter, you have to put it in correctly. On Instagram, it is at Coach Sean King. So, you guys. Always a pleasure chopping it up, talking a little bucks. You see one of my game balls in the back. So, what, what is trying what, to represent. What, 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 I gotta, what game I, is that from? Uh, let's see here. That is September 17th, 2000, Tampa 31, Detroit 10. Uh, player of the game.
1: There you go. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for stopping by once again. It is always awesome getting your insight. Last but not least, you can find myself, Instagram, and Twitter at Redicus, R-H-E-T-T-A-K-U-S. If you follow me, I will follow you back. But that's the show, folks. We'll talk to you later on this week with our Week 3 Game Preview. The Buccaneers home opener against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers should be a good one. I am your host, Rhett Matthews, signing off for my co-host, Evan Wanish and Sean King. We'll talk to you guys in the next one. Until then, and as always, go box.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.